So thanks for coming tonight, and I'm going to pray and we'll jump in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this gorgeous day we had. Thank you for springtime. Thank you for this week that we celebrate Passion Week, that uh, um, Jews are celebrating Passover. We're preparing for Resurrection Sunday. Good Friday is a couple days away. Lord, uh, the world changed this week about 2,000 years ago. And uh, tonight we are changed because of what you did during that week. So tonight we're seeking to know you. And we believe by the Holy Spirit, by your word, that if, that if it's your will, you'll open our minds to understand the scriptures. So we're diving in, expecting that you'll do that. You'll open our minds to understand the scriptures. That's my prayer for all of us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 12, by the way, there were no recordings last week because there was no electricity last week. So there's nothing last week except a horrible memory of doing a service in the dark, okay? So there's nothing from last week. But chapter 12, let me do a recap, was about the body and the gifts that God gives the body. What's the body? The church. Then chapter 13 was about the love that makes the gifts work for the glory of God as God intended the gifts to work for the glory of God. And then chapter 14, tonight we open. By the way, there's only two classes left after tonight. Well, this is session 10. We'll go 11 and 12 and take a break. So chapter 14 now reveals the greatest goal and the greatest gift and why. So we've spent two chapters, 12 and 13, talking about spiritual gifts and what makes a spiritual gift functional in the kingdom. What, is, what makes the spiritual gift functional in the kingdom? Love. If you don't have love, the gift becomes meaningless. If I can speak in the tongues of angels and I have not love, I am a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. I have nothing. Right? So if you have these gifts and yet you have not love, it's nothing. And then tonight, it's interesting to me, tonight... He reveals the greatest goal in context of those gifts and the love. The greatest goal and the greatest gift and why. Here we go. Verse 1. Let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities that the Spirit gives. Especially the ability to prophesy. Now, I want to read a second translation because we're going to focus some time on here, so I want to make sure I, I get the, the meaning of the words, okay? So the New American Standard Bible says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you might prophesy. Love is the highest goal, and it should be the pursuit of every believer. Now, let's begin there tonight. The, the purpose of spiritual gifts, we learned last week, the purpose of spiritual gifts is what? Is that through those gifts, filtered through love, God will be revealed. They'll reveal God. Will the gifts reveal God without love? No. 
It's empty. If I can speak in the tongues of angels and I don't have love that's the filter of the gift, it doesn't, it doesn't change the world for God because it doesn't reveal God. Can you imagine revealing God without revealing love? He's the origin of love. So understand, love is the highest goal. It should be the pursuit of every believer. But what I have found is people want to use their gifts and forget about the idea that unless that gift is based in love, the gift will not advance the kingdom. It, you might think it's advancing you, but it's not advancing the kingdom because it has to be through love. Then, after every believer pursues love, so let me, let me prove it to you. When they come to Jesus and says, of all of the laws, of all of the writings, of all of the all, what's the greatest? You know what he said. You know what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You, you think it's a coincidence that, that first and foremost is love, love God. And, and after you get the ability to love God, can you love people before you can love God? No, there's an order. There's an order. You can't love others if you can't love God. But when you love God, he'll do something inside of you that gives you the ability to, to love even stinkers. Okay? Even stinkers you can love. Then, after we love, it's our primary goal, we should desire these special abilities, these spiritual gifts from God. Through the Spirit. Now, now, don't feel embarrassed that you desire spiritual gifts. Don't be ashamed. Don't apologize. We've just been given the teaching of the Apostle Paul that after love, you should desire special gifts. Especially, now here it comes. What's the highest one? You know, he mentions it, not me. Especially and particularly the gift to, I shouldn't have said of, I should have said to prophesy. The ability to prophesy. Now, I was backstage reading over this earlier uh, before I came out tonight, and I think I even confused myself, so I have no idea what I'll do to you here in a few minutes. But what does that mean? If I were to poll the audience tonight and said that Paul said you should, you should desire the gift to prophesy, do you have it? You you, most people would say, I don't know. Do I? Do I? Do you have it? Do you want it? Would you know what to do with it if you got it? What is it? If it's the highest goal that we should desire of the spiritual gifts tonight, let's spend some time talking about it. What does it mean? Prophesy about the future? Or so, so is the gift to prophesy, is it relating to telling the future? Or does that just mean the ability to communicate the gospel of Christ? Or does it mean both? Or can it be either? So let's do something. First, let's go back to the previous chapter. And I want to do something. I want to connect this prophesy or prophecy to love okay i've already said it a couple of times i want to read it to you 
1 Corinthians 13, 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, by the way, this is the first in his listing of gifts in chapter 13. What's the first one he mentions? If I have the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. So what is this gift of prophecy that I just read? If I had the gift of prophecy. But then he says in 14 that you should desire the gift to prophesy. One is a C-Y, the other one is an S-Y. Prophesy, prophecy. If I have the gift of prophecy, and then the next chapter says you should desire the gift of prophesy. Anybody confused yet? Oh, I'm doing good. What's the difference? What's the difference between prophecy, CY, that's in chapter 13, and SY, that's in chapter 14? The gift to prophesy is the gift to speak to others about God. Let me make it simple. We should desire after love, after love first, okay? No reason to get the gift if you don't have love. But we should desire the greatest gift. He says the greatest gift is the gift to prophesy. So what's prophesy? The ability to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people. Why would that be the greatest gift? Well, just think about what I just said. To tell people there's a cure to death in a way in which they can understand it. It's a gift. God gives that. You know that? We should desire, the church should desire this gift. Why? Because the whole idea of evangelism, the whole idea of disciples making disciples making disciples is not that Terry Cooper has the ability to prophesy, but that you have the ability to prophesy. Because you're going to meet people I'll never meet. And if you desire this gift, you have the ability to communicate the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, you're, you're sharing life. Why is it the greatest gift? You're, you're sharing life. Does that glorify God? Yes. Does that demonstrate love? Yeah. How better way to demonstrate love than to point somebody toward God and save their life? I remember years ago starting to pray a prayer daily. Lord, give me someone today that I might share the love of Christ with. And don't let me miss it. Now I'm going to tell you, I found that to be a dangerous prayer. I do. Some days I backed off of that. Because I'm like, well, maybe not today. Why? Because I believe it is a representative of the greatest gift. Give me somebody today that has soil that's been prepared by you for a seed that you'll give me to hand them. And be careful what you ask for. Because, buddy, they'll come. You'll meet them in the strangest places, in the strangest ways. Prophecy is the oral or written message of a prophet. Now, that's a CY. Prophesy is communicating the gospel. Prophecy with a CY is the oral or the written message of a prophet. Is Jesus a prophet? Yeah, he's a prophet, a priest, and a king, by the way. 
The oral or the written message of a prophet is prophecy. Both of these are used by God to communicate to others about God. Prophecy, prophesy, they're both used by God to communicate God. Prophecy, CY, has more to do with future events. And prophesy can just simply be to explain the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit is to prophesy. To preach or to teach the word of God. Listen carefully. To preach or to teach or to communicate the word of God is to prophesy. Now, how many people don't know that? If you were to go out in somewhere in public and say, today I intend to prophesy, what's people going to think? You're laughing because you know what I know. They're going to think, oh, he's going to act like he knows the future because they don't understand what the word means. Prophesy is that I'm going to go teach the word of God to somebody today. That's prophesy. Now, can you prophesy about prophecy? Yeah, I told you, I confused myself backstage before I ever got to you. Yeah, you can. You can prophesy about prophecy. You surely can. Is there a reference? Is, excuse me, if I look up here to 1 Corinthians 14.1, is this a reference to the gift of prophecy, to prophesy, preaching or teaching the word of God to others? Yes. Is this a reference to the gift to know and communicate prophecy? Yes, it's both. The greatest gift is to be able to explain the Word of God to somebody else. Now, with that said, let's go to 1 Peter 4.10. Let's bring him into the conversation. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Now, what does that mean? Can you talk? Do you think he's just talking about talking? No. Do you have the, the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. That's prophesying. If you have this gift, do you have the gift to help others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God. What's the ultimate goal? To bring glory to God, which reveals God through love. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So let's go to 1 Peter 4.10. I just want to read a different translation of that same verse. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Ooh, you want to put some pressure on somebody? Well, maybe I don't want this gift. If I'm supposed to use this gift as if I'm speaking the utterances of God. The King James Version, I believe, says as one speaking the very oracles of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We think of prophecy as only about future events. But prophecy can also be a revelation from God about right now. 
You see, we have this idea about time that really doesn't fit God's idea about time. So is prophecy, can prophecy be about future events? Yes. But what about the moment that you prophesy an event? It could be future because it just happened. It doesn't have to be long time in the future. It can be right now and still be prophecy. Let me prove it to you. God speaking through the Holy Spirit to an individual. So here's Peter on the day of Pentecost. So what are we looking for? I, I want to see if prophecy can be a revelation in a moment, not future, but now. Can you prophesy about prophecy in a moment that it's realized now and in the future? Yes. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls on Jerusalem. The Apostle Peter is about to preach a sermon he did not write. The Holy Spirit has put it inside of him. And when he does that, well, let me just read. Acts 2.14, Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk. As some of you are assuming, nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for a drunk. If it was 10.30, maybe. But nine o'clock, no. So why are they thinking they're drunk? Because they're acting strange. They're doing things that make them look strange. Verse 16. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Now how in the world does Peter know this? Huh? Peter is standing in Jerusalem and all of a sudden in his head he remembers Joel. Joel's been dead for hundreds of years. How does Peter know this? The Holy Spirit. Peter has the gift to prophesy. It's a gift. You don't do it yourself. You receive it. He received the gift to prophesy. With the gift to prophesy comes something to talk about. He knows about Joel. He knows about Joel. And here he says, they're not drunk. That's the first thing he says. They're not drunk. It's too early in the day. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And now he's going to quote it. Man, this gift is incredible, isn't it? It's in his head. He says, Joel, he's quoting a hundreds, I don't remember how many years. It's several hundred years Joel was before the time of Peter. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will do what? They'll prophesy. In the last days. Now, I want to tell you, I have always believed that on the day of Pentecost, in this event, on this particular day, the last days began. I believe the countdown to the coming of Christ began that day. As Peter stands up and quotes the prophet Joel, he initiates a sequence of events that will eventually bring the last days. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all time. How long are the last days? 
I don't know how long they are. I just know that they're starting to, to subtract themselves day by day by day by day. I can tell you this for sure. Without the gift of prophecy, we got less days now than they did then. You don't need the gift of prophecy to know that one. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. Even on my servants. What's happening to these guys over here they think's drunk? What's happening to them? In those days, I will pour out my spirit upon people. They will prophesy. Now, is that, is that an announcement about what's happening in Jerusalem that day? Yes. Is that an announcement about what's going to happen right before Jesus comes? Yes. Is it both? Yes. It is. It's both. You read the whole book, you'll figure that out. It's both. But it started when? Listen, there are no descriptions in the Bible where this has ever happened in the Old Testament. Not the massive pouring out of the Spirit. It never happened. It, God came and gave the Spirit to David. God came and gave the Spirit to Saul. God came and gave the Spirit to different people. But to just throw the Spirit down into a crowd? That never happened. Joel said it was going to. Joel announced that in the last days, God will give the ability to prophesy. How? You'll get the Holy Spirit. And that's how Peter in this moment knows Joel. And that's how Peter in this moment can quote Joel. Let me finish it. He says, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Now, I want to jump to chapter 14. I'm not going back to where we were. I'm going to the end for a reason. Okay, and then we'll come back. He says, let two or three in, in the service, in the church, in the church age, what's the order? How should we function? Let two or three people prophesy. And let the others evaluate what he said, or what, it, what is said. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy, who's he talking about? This is, this is a letter to a Gentile church in Corinth. This is the church age. This is us, right? This is us. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak one after the other so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and they can take turns. In other words, just because somebody can't say, well, you know, I'm out of control, that I've been hit with the prophesied gift and now I can't shut up. You're in, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. It's hard, but, but you can. Somebody will use that against me later on in my life. I have a failure. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have said that. Verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And in all the meetings of God's holy people. Let me give you an example. Um, I don't know how many of y'all have gone to other churches, uh, how many have had a Pentecostal background. By the way, Nineveh has got a huge Pentecostal background, and we welcome people of Pentecostal background. We've got a huge Catholic background. Do you know that? This is the melting pot of churches. It is. There are Pentecostals, Catholics, Baptists, Presbyterians, and just you, you name it, we got them. Well, it was several years ago, Dr. David Reagan was doing a conference at Living Waters over in Shelbyville. And my wife and I decided we wanted to go and hear him. 
I believe it might have been before he came here, but I don't remember. Anyway, Living Waters is a Pentecostal church. I have I've had great dealings with them, good people. Um, very different service. They knew their, their minister had wisdom. And he knew that he had a lot of us non-Pentecostal people in the audience. So you know what he said? He got up in the beginning of the service and he looked out and he said this. He said, if anyone has a revelation from God tonight, we do not want you to publicly say it. Brother so-and-so over here will receive that prophecy personally backstage. And if he collects them and considers some of those need to be released before we leave tonight, he'll do that. But everyone else will remain silent in respect to our guest tonight. I thought, what a man of wisdom. Now, you'll understand why I say that in a few minutes. Okay? Now, now that tells me that had I not been there that night, had I been there in a regular session, there might have been a whole lot of people standing up and prophesying randomly. What I might consider disorder, they, they do. That's, that's fine. That's, that's on them. It's not on me. I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just saying that that night it was clearly communicated, not tonight, recognizing we had a whole lot of outsiders in our audience. If this describes the Holy Spirit, if what I just read, Acts chapter 2, and the end of chapter 14. If this describes the Holy Spirit gift to prophesy, then what is speaking in tongues? If the gift of prophesy, to prophesy is the gift to communicate to others, then what is this gift of tongues? Is it only to communicate with God? Stay with me, okay? I'll make somebody mad tonight yet. Here we go. I'm going to put it all together, the first four verses. Let love be your highest goal. I'm back to the original 1 Corinthians 14. Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, uh-oh, here we go, here's the second one. We just talked about the gift of prophecy, and then he's to prophesy. He says, but if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God. Since people won't be able to understand you, you will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will be mysterious language. But the one who prophesies, he's going to put the two side by side, the gift of prophesy, the gift of tongues. But the one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. Maybe that gave you a rush. But what did it do for the people around you in the room that particular moment? But one who speaks a word of, prop, of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Does the Holy Spirit give the ability to speak in tongues today? I believe yes. Why? Because the Bible says so. That's all I need to know. Yes. Is the gift of tongues a measure of one's walk with God? When you, for example, 
When you get the gift of tongues, you have reached a higher level than those who have not received the gift of tongues. Baloney. That's a Greek word. No, it's not. <laughs> Baloney. And the reason I say that is I had a, a man who was Pentecostal, a friend of mine, uh, came to a revival service that I preached somewhere a few years ago, and he came, and we got into a pretty deep conversation about this topic of tongues, in which they have openly in their services, and he said to me that I had not reached that same level that they had. Baloney. Somebody made that up. I've read this book. It ain't in there. It's not in there. Now, do I acknowledge that there are people who speak in tongues? Yeah. Is that some kind of a, that you, you go to this, these steps, and when you get to step eight, to get to step nine, you've got to have the ability to speak in tongues? That's baloney. That's, that's foolishness. That's somebody making that up to make themselves feel good. That's all that is. Now, listen carefully. We, and I'm going to speak on behalf of the elders here at the church, we do not believe that speaking in tongues is necessary to prove the presence of the Holy Spirit. There are some people who believe that without speaking in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. As if to assume that everybody who gets the Holy Spirit gets the gift of speaking in tongues. Well, I'm wanting to say, did you read 1 Corinthians? Because it doesn't say that at all. However, membership to this church, Nineveh Christian Church, is freely given to Christians who believe they have been given the gift of tongues as long as they agree to practice that gift privately. And let me just say this. I have had this conversation with numerous people in this church who come from Pentecostal backgrounds, and they tell me they have the ability to speak in tongues. And I say, awesome, great, good for you. And they'll look at me and say, do you? I say, no. <laughs> no, I don't do that. I'm making that up too. Quit that. <laughs> no, I don't. And then I very respectfully will say, I'm going to ask you, I acknowledge your gift. I'm going to ask you that that will not be manifest in public worship in our facility. I respectfully make that request. And we have never had that happen. Now, I have been in places where it has happened. In fact, let me tell you the story. My wife and I are in Branson, Missouri, years ago at a retreat, and Chuck Swindoll is standing in front preaching, one of my favorite teachers of all times. He's preaching, and a lot of the audience are ministry people and huge auditorium huge auditorium and just so happened the guy about two rows in front of me stands up and he starts speaking in tongues loud while Chuck Swindoll's preaching I'm like whoa what's gonna happen did he make me that guy make me feel good that guy made me feel very uncomfortable and Chuck Swindoll very calmly never got mad never got upset turned stop stopped his sermon turn to that guy and say, Sir, I ask you to keep that word to yourself until this session is over. You're disturbing the assembly of Christ. And the guy said, Okay, you sit down. <laughs> now, we've never had that situation here, 
But I've had people ask me, what would you do if somebody did? Well, I would hopefully in that moment very calmly say, I, I request that you not do that in the public service while we're all together. You can do that privately. Or we can meet together after church and talk about it. What was the original gift of tongues? Do you know? In the church on the day of Pentecost is when you'll find for the first time the gift of tongues. What was it? The apostles could prophesy and be heard in other languages so that the gospel could be understood by foreigners who had come to Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost, right? People had come from all over the world, different languages, and here these apostles were prophesying. Here we go. What's the greatest gift? Prophesying. And guess what? They're speaking, but it's being heard in multiple languages. That was the origin of the gift of tongues. However, Paul describes this gift of tongues in chapter 14 as an ability to have a unique personal conversation with God. I like to call it a prayer language. Is there a prayer language? I suppose there is. Do I have it? Have I ever experienced it? Nope, have not, have not. I actually talked to God seriously about it on multiple occasions. Never got any answers, so I gave up and moved on. Is there a prayer language? I suppose seemingly it has nothing to do with others in the church. Listen carefully. Here's where I have the issue. If the original gift of tongues was to communicate with people of other nationalities the gospel of Jesus Christ, what is the point of speaking a language that nobody around you can understand? It has to be something personal between you and God. It's got nothing to do between the group. That's why it doesn't fit the session of multiple people. Because they don't know what you're saying. What's the point? It's just babble. Now that doesn't mean it's not real. It just means it doesn't fit the setting. When I read chapter 14, it becomes clear that this gift of tongues came with some controversy then and now. If you don't believe it came with controversy, listen to these following verses. I wish you could all speak in tongues. Well, that tells me right now, everybody didn't get it. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. There you go. Which is the greatest gift? For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must play the notes clearly or no one will recognize the melody. You want somebody to play a flute and just play the same note over and over? That's not music. It doesn't, it, there's, it doesn't make any sense. And if a bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know they are being called to battle? And it is the same for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you're saying? You might as well be talking into empty space. Chatamate kudasai. When I go to Japan, when I used to go to Japan all the time, I, I learned just enough stuff to try to get me in trouble. I found that it did get me in trouble. 
Chetamate Kudasai was something I learned. It is just a moment, please. So when someone would talk to me like they thought I knew what they were saying, I would say, Chetamate Kudasai, and I would leave. <laughs> just a moment, please, and I'd just get out of the conversation. Just leave. Because you think I understand you, but I don't understand you, so I found it important to learn one phrase that gets me out of the room. They think I'm going to the bathroom. I don't care where they think I'm going. I'm just out of here. What's the point of talking if nobody understands you? So let me ask you a question. Were they having trouble with tongues in Corinth? Why is Paul writing this? You think he's writing this for no reason? He's writing this for a reason. It's become an issue. There's obviously been an issue. The assembly of the body of Christ must always come with purpose. And what would be the purpose of speaking a language publicly that people can't understand? So let's move on. Verse 10. There are many different languages in the world and every language has meaning. But if I don't understand a language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it. And the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you. Since you are eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. And You know, he's, he's discouraging them seeking the gift of tongues. Can you see it? He's discouraging it. Does he... Does he say it's not real? No, that's why I can't either. But he's discouraging it. Seek the greater gift. Seek the one that affects the whole church. Not something that's going to be between you and God in your closet. Verse 13. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what's been said. Why? Because then somebody will know what it means. Then maybe it makes sense. Verse 14. For if I pray... If I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Are you, you understand what he's saying? If I'm going to go and pray to God, I'd like to know what I just said. Now, do I believe the Holy Spirit intercedes on behalf of me with words that I cannot understand? Yes, I do. That's not speaking in tongues. That's not what speaking in tongues is. That's the intercessor the Holy Spirit, between me and God the Father, asking for things I don't even know that I need. He sees the future, I don't. But if I'm praying, what's the point of me praying a prayer if I don't know what I just prayed? I'm going to leave just confused. If I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Well, then what should I do? I will pray in the Spirit and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I'll also sing in words I understand. In other words, I'm not going to do it in that unknown language. Verse 16, For if you praise God only in the Spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? You see what he's doing? He's saying you're making yourself too separate from the body. How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You'll be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. Did Paul speak in tongues and unknown languages? Anybody picked up on it yet? Yes, he did. Yep, did Paul speak in tongues? Yeah. And what is his counsel to the church on this issue? Let's keep going, verse 18. 
Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. <laughs> so I, I, I bet you he was probably more than anybody. I speak, so what's his counsel going to be? But in church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Is this complicated? This is not complicated. It's not complicated. It's simple. Does Paul speak in tongues? Yeah. But he understands that that would be meaningless as the body of Christ assembles. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. It is written in the scriptures, I will speak to my own people through strange languages and through the lips of foreigners, but even then they will not listen to me. So there's a pro prophecy. A prophecy is that there will be tongues, there will be the ability to speak in multiple languages, but even then they won't listen. Verse 22, so you see that speaking in tongues is a sign. For who? Not for believers. Are you with me? That's why it doesn't fit the service like this, or like a Sunday morning service. Speaking in tongues is a sign, but it's not for believers, it's for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. And even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in unknown language, they will think you are crazy. I just don't know why, but I just had a memory. My daughter, Audrey, went to a church, a Pentecostal church with a friend of hers. <laughs> and she came, she came home. Her eyes were this big around. She said, I have no idea what just happened. And listen, I am not making fun of them. I'm not. I just know that it, my daughter came home and she's like, they put me in the middle and there's people got all the way around me and they said things I have no idea what they said. And I didn't know what to do except I thought it was time to go home. Listen to what he says. If unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting, they hear everyone speaking another language, they're going to think you're crazy. But if all of you are prophesying, and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they'll be convicted of sin. One is they think you're crazy. Option A, they think you're crazy. Option B, if you're prophesying, guess what happens? What does prophesying do? I'm going to tell you. Here you go. Prophesying convicts you of sin. It's turning you toward God. They'll be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. And they listen. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed. And they will fall on their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. Because you're speaking in tongues? Nope. Because you prophesied the word of God. We are a body. And the body does not consist of one part, but many. So we must consider the many when we assemble. The primary mission of the church is to reveal the glory of God and the salvation of his Christ to the world. That will not be accomplished through unknown languages, but only through a clear, understandable message of Christ. All of this ancient teaching must be broken down into the reality of the modern church. This is the role of the church elders. 
We believe there must be order in everything. Everything must have a clear and concise purpose to advance the gospel and the kingdom of Christ. Verse 26 through 28. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues and others will interpret what it said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. If it doesn't affect all of you, should it make it to the agenda? Verse 27. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. This describes why we do not participate in speaking in tongues in the assembly. Now, we'll turn toward home. Verse 29. Let two or three people prophesy. Let the others evaluate what is said. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after the other, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit, and they can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the meetings of God's holy people, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. Women should be silent during the church meeting. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive just as the law says. If they have any question, they should ask their husband at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Paul goes from tongues to women, and I want you to know that connection was not my idea. We dealt, I told you I'd make somebody mad tonight. We dealt with this issue on the roles of women in the church two weeks ago. I don't want to open it up again uh, except to say this. We hold this teaching to apply to women in the roles of leadership and not a prohibition against women speaking in the assembly. Let me say it again. When we read this scripture, the elders of this church hold this to be significant, and it is significant in the regards to women in leadership. It is not. We do not apply it to women being unable to speak in the assembly of believers. As we stated clearly two weeks ago, there is a created order. And to rebel against that created order is a direct rebellion against God, our Creator and Lord. Good luck with that. Paul closes chapter 14 with this. And there's one sentence in here that just, every time I read it, I was convicted. Here's how he closes 14. Or do you think God's Word originated with you Corinthians? Are you the ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think you are spiritual, you should recognize that what I am saying is a command direct from the Lord himself. Now, everybody pause for a moment. Did you understand the context of this? So, let me, let me say, I said I wasn't going to bring it up, but 
I'm not one to just silent about the Word of God. We got a lot of women who are really uncomfortable about that instruction. And the following verse, the following verse, the Apostle Paul says, if you claim to be a prophet or you think you're spiritual, you should recognize that what I am saying, what I am saying, what I have just spoken is a command direct from Jesus Christ. So tonight, if you've been offended by those few verses about the role of women or speaking in tongues or spiritual gifts, you don't have a problem with me. You don't have a problem with Paul. You've got a problem with Jesus Christ. Because guess what? I didn't write it. And I'm convinced the Apostle Paul heard Jesus and wrote it down. Now, if you disagree with that, we'll just see how that plays out on the last day. I'm willing to see how it plays out with what I believe. Here's the one that gets me. Not those, this one, verse 38. But if you do not recognize this, what? That 1 Corinthians, listen. If you do not recognize that 1 Corinthians is Jesus himself, speaking to the church. If you do not recognize this, you yourself will not be recognized. I got goosebumps all over my arm. Do you know what that means? This is the absolute authority of Scripture. You want to come in here and pick this one and this one and this one and say, yep, and throw that one and that one and that one out because it doesn't really fit your lifestyle? If, if you do not recognize this, recognize what? Go, okay, let's put 37 and 38 together, okay? If you claim to be a prophet or you think you are spiritual, you should recognize that what I am saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you don't recognize that what 1 Corinthians, this latter is a command from God himself, then you'll not be recognized. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to, eager to prophesy. Don't, be, don't forbid speaking in tongues. Don't forbid it. So, unless it's in the assembly. So, if somebody comes to me, and remember I said, we do not say that you can't be a member of this church because you're speaking tongues. I can't stand up here and say, I don't believe people can speak in tongues because oh, I can read. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. So if you're in the room tonight and you speak in tongues, I say, go for it. Just don't do it in the assembly. And be sure that everything is done properly and in order. Paul has authority because of his encounter with and the calling by Christ himself. If the church rejects his authority, we are rejecting the one who gave him the authority. His name is Jesus Christ. Dangerous strategy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book called 1 Corinthians. And Father, tonight, uh, with all of my heart, I believe that what Paul wrote, the church at Corinth, he receives directly from Jesus himself. And we read it as if it were the authority of Christ through the pen of Paul, that this is the very word of God. So tonight, may your church receive this word by the power of Jesus' name. And then, Lord, I pray for all of us to have this gift to prophesy. 
that all of us would have the gift to be able to tell others about the wonderful grace, mercy, love, redemption of Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for being here.